trust and hope that everybody is doing well, that everybody's families are doing well. You know, it's, uh, as Mr. David alluded, it's not the, the greatest of times. Um, but praise God that we can, we can still get together, that we can still visit, we can still encourage each other just through our, our eyes and the, the hellos that sometimes we, we miss during the week. I'm going to um, continue on as best I can from where Jeff started uh, last week. He began a, a series on the mystery of God's eternal purpose, the, the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. Uh, this mystery doesn't refer to any riddle or any secret. It refers to a spiritual insight or revelation that God unknown that was unknown to previous generations. The mystery, of course, being the fact that by faith, both Jews and Gentiles are heirs together in eternal life and will receive the same inheritance in Christ. The Old Testament re revealed that Gentiles would be saved, but it was only in the New Testament that the method of salvation was made clear and the mystery solved. It's through Jesus Christ, through his sacrificial death, his resurrection. In his death, Jesus took on all social distinctions, all racial tensions, all forms of human separation, and he crucified them. Sadly, I think this fact is lost to a great many Christians today. We're going to, to spend time in Ephesians, actually the entire book, but I want to just start out by reading Ephesians 3, 2 to 9. It says, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together in one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches in Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. As Jeff noted, this mystery, it's mentioned six times in the book of Ephesians. Why so often in this one book? Why in a letter to the Ephesians? Why them? Ephesus was the capital of the Roman province of Asia. It uh, is located in modern-day Turkey, right on the agency, straight west, or sorry, straight east of Athens. Under the rule of Augustus, Ephesus entered an era of prosperity, becoming both the seat of the governor 
and a major center of commerce. Ephesus, again given how long ago, was about the size of St. Louis or Pittsburgh, bigger than the city of Orlando. It would probably be somewhere around the 60th largest city in the States now if it existed today. It was home to more than 300,000 people and became the most important commercial center in Roman Asia. There was a, a Greek geographer and, and historian, his name was Strabo. He lived in, in Asia Minor um, when uh, that area was transitioning to the Roman Empire. And he noted that it was a second in importance and size only to Rome. So Ephesus was a big deal. The city was, was also widely known for its, its temple of Artemis. It was one of the seven wonders of the world. Um, it also had an amphitheater. Um, and there's still ruins there of this amphitheater that could seat 25,000 people. So, and we can't call it a metropolis in, in the sense of metropolis, but it was this booming place. On his third missionary journey, Paul spent almost three years there. Uh, and it, he did that in large part because of its, its strategic position as a, as a radiating center for the dissemination of the gospel. I imagine that people wanted to be there. You know, people felt like uh, they could be somebody there. It was maybe the equivalent of going to New York, to make it in New York. If you went to Ephesus and you did all right, you were saying something. Um, I believe that Ephesians, as, as a people, as a group, they were, they were high in status. And, and what, I, what I mean by that is, it was a big deal to say that you're from Ephesus. Just like in some parts of the world, it, it's a big deal to say that, that you're American. It's significant to say that you're from the USA. These people here in Ephesus, because of where it was and, and what it was about, uh, there were people who were involved in, in everything from idol worship, illicit sex, and, and foolish philosophies. Uh, other than their, their language and their clothes, they were probably very similar to folks in some of the bigger cities here. In, uh, in the States. Now, when Paul was, was drafting this letter, um, it was written to encourage believers there to think of themselves in a, in a whole new way. In, instead of the people that they were, again, prone to, to all these things from idol worship and, and foolish philosophies, he wanted them to, to think of themselves as now people in Christ. People with a radically new identity. It was ultimately written to help us discover the purpose of our lives. About making peace with God, learning his intentions for his people, and understanding the believers. That is, understanding our new identity in Christ. Paul as he drafted this letter, he stresses the unity of all believers. He dedicated the last half of, of this book to, to offering practical ways to live in unity with God and, and with one another. Remember, there was a, a new race of people being created. 
prior to Christ, as far as the world was concerned, there were Jews and there were Gentiles. Now, there were one in Christ. There were a community of redeemed people uh, that was being created in this first century where, where individuals looked past themselves to the needs of others. There was a love, a care, and a compassion for each other that, that transcended all possible dividing lines. God broke down the barriers that existed between Jews and, and Gentiles, and he united the two as a new man. This unification of two formerly opposing groups is but a token of the unity which is to be a reality among all who are members of the body of Christ. According to the Wycliffe Bible Dictionary, in this new community of saints, there was no legitimate barriers of nationality, race, color, or culture. The church is one body in Jesus Christ, and, and as such, it is, as Francis W. Beer asserts, it was the harbinger of the ultimate unity of the whole creation. From this first step in unification, God will ultimately, according to his sovereign purpose, unite all things in Christ. This is the mystery of the grand design of God, that everything is to be united under the headship of Christ. If you've spent any time with me, I often talk about the Jamaica that I grew up in. Um, the capital of Kingston, where, where I lived in the 70s and, and 80s, was the most cosmopolitan place I will probably ever know. There were people from everywhere. People of wide and, and varying backgrounds. I mean, there were Europeans, of course. You know, it, was, it was part of the empire, so lots of English folks, lots of Scots. Uh, there were lots of Chinese folks that came from Hong Kong and, and settled in Jamaica. There were Indians from India who, who came over. Of course, there were West Africans because of slavery, so lots of folks there. Um, and there were also Middle Easterners. There were folks from Lebanon, from Syria. All, all these people came together. Um, despite their origins, despite um, their ancestry, all these people became Jamaican. In fact, when I was young, I, we, used to, we used to understand that if you weren't Jamaican, well, it was just a matter of time before you were. Because it just was. It, it was, it was the, the, the flavor of how things were. Folks married each other. Their kids married each other. End up with a, a people who are raceless. I would tell folks, if you ever want to see what God looks like, come to Jamaica. Because they're people you just can't define. But that was how it was. As this territory, you know, this, this piece of the empire grew and as it later became a, its own country. Um, the, all these people who were there, they, they believed in an ideal and the motto that out of many, one people. We were all united under one flag. 
it was truly an, an intercultural environment as opposed to a, a multicultural environment. Think of salsa instead of a salad. You know, you have your salad and you have the lettuce, you have your tomatoes, you might have your onions. But think of putting all of that in a, in a blend and puring all, and you just end up with this salsa where everything is just truly mixed up together. That's the Jamaica, that's the Kingston that I grew up in. Now, I don't want to paint a picture of utopia because we, we had our issues and then some. Um, man ultimately messes stuff up and we, we had issues. However, uh, because of how and where I grew up, I can get a picture of what this first century church looked like where these people from varying backgrounds came together. There these, it was a, a, a bunch of different people united under one cause. Again, Paul stresses unity. Now, in order for unity to take place, there has to be reconciliation. It's a word that, especially in church, we hear often. But what is reconciliation? What does it mean? It's the restoration of, of friendly relations. The action of making one view or belief compatible with another. The usage of the word reconciliation always includes the bringing together of two or more parties by a removal of grounds or causes of disharmony. Reconciliation is necessary to do away with existing enmity. Okay, so what is enmity? It's a state or feeling of being actively opposed or hostile to someone or something. So now, in order for Jews and Gentiles to get along, there was a lot of baggage that was going to have to be dealt with. In fact, it was insurmountable. Um, there was just so much happening Everything that the Jewish culture and tradition was did not make any allowances for the uncircumcised, for those other folks. In steps Jesus. God manufactured a way for something to happen as only he could. Of course, he knew this was how it was going to be from the beginning of time and he revealed it in the Old Testament, but nobody got it until he came. Because of Jesus, we all could become co-heirs. One family under a common banner, united in a cause greater than any one individual or people group. If you're familiar with with uh, Anglo-Saxon history, just as it relates to England. It was all about your family crest and, and creating new crests, new banners, um, because it stood for something. It meant something. Under Jesus, all those other banners were removed. We now have one common banner. Again, we're all united in a cause greater than any one individual or any one people group. 
fast forward to 2020. This is without doubt a very interesting time we live in. Um, there are many days when, when I'd venture to say it's actually a sad time. And Jeff touched on it last week, and he, and he said it in passing, but he says, the, the, the world has been crazy since Genesis 3. And we get it. Um, I think we know that the world is, is not what it should be. Uh, but it doesn't justify what's happening in our world. I mean, we, we, we deal with with varying things. And we deal with things like, like systematic racism. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a tough subject. It, it, it causes our emotions to, to range across the spectrum that is emotions. And it will never be able to be addressed quickly. So we know that there is work that has to be, be done. I mean, there are, there are other issues as well. Um, but right now, just in, in, with what's happening in, in America and in the world, it, it's certainly there for all of us to see. So what is our role as Christians in all of this? Keep in mind, the church is the hope for the world. And the gospel is the only thing that will bring us all together to the praise of his glory. Jeff reminded us last week that we, we tend to formulate the whys, that we are meaning makers, and that we interpret facts and formulate our own meanings. He also pointed out that everything has to be filtered through Christ. Can I be honest? I fail at this regularly. I do. I'm grateful for the person that he put in my life, my other half, who, because of my own isms, has to remind me of just stuff, of how I go about doing what I do and the fact that Work has to be done a lot of times. But I fail at filtering the world through Christ. And my guess is that so do many of you. The truth is many so-called Christians don't use Christ as a filter. We use everything else. Well, the first thing that comes to mind is, is social media. Everything gets filtered through that, through that, through news, through where we live, through our friends, through everything other than Christ. I mean, it's obvious in our, in our society's inability to empathize. We are too often unwilling to understand and share the feelings of another person and or group. Empathy is, is critical to our success as Christians. 
It's critical to the success of church as a whole. See, without empathy, kingdom work ceases. Without empathy, kingdom work ceases. Because what's it all for? What's it all for? Why do we do this church thing? Why do we show up on Sundays? Why do we read our Bibles? Why do we listen to Ravi Zachariah when we could? Why do we do all those things? If we can't empathize. Or better yet, if we won't empathize. There absolutely cannot be any form of reconciliation without empathy. If we cannot put ourselves in another person's shoes, how can we expect to be supportive or to offer encouragement? Everything we have at that point is empty. It's just words. If we as Christ followers are one body, then we, we have to embrace 1 Corinthians twelve twenty six, And it tells us if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. One part suffers, then we're all hurting. With racial tension, what it is, we as Christians have to be at the forefront demonstrating to the world what it can look like. Actually, we have to. We have to demonstrate what the world is supposed to look like. It's supposed to be an environment where Every demographic is represented and intertwined, laughing and crying on this journey. That is life. I remember our church in Florida. And we, we'd have our, our, our church at, at, at a school. And you'd walk into the auditorium and you would see several hundred people who looked different, who sounded different. But we were all there to worship one God. We laughed and we cried and we lived life. Jamaicans, Haitians, Americans, Chinese, Hispanic. I mean, we were all there doing life. And what a blessing it was. What a blessing. Unfortunately, many of us have chosen to be spectators or, or have failed to try to embrace the pain and hurt that our brothers and sisters in Christ are going through, not just here, but all over the world. The author of Hebrews, in chapter 13, verse 3, he implores us, continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. He wants us to feel what they're feeling. Because if we do, if we get it, if we understand, then we're able to be more empathetic. We're able to actually offer the support, the encouragement that they need. wants us to feel what they're feeling. 
unfortunately, just over the course of history, many of us as, as Christians, and I'm going to do Christians with air quotes, have been the ones causing pain and anguish for others. I mean, we could, we could go as, as far back as crusades and what folks did and under the guise or under the banner of Jesus. Late 18th century, or sorry, 19th century through the 20th century, I don't know if you realize or if you know that one of the qualifications for being a member of the KKK is to be a Christian in good standing in the community. PBS's American Experience discussed the KKK burning crosses and noted that through the 1960s, Klan leaders regularly depicted the cross as embodying the KKK's Christian roots. It means to spread the light of Jesus into the countryside. There was a, a record put out way back when, and if you guys remember records, it was a 45. Um, and it was put out by United Clans of America, and it included Carolina Clans, Bob Jones, reciting how the fiery cross served as a symbol of sacrifice and service and a sign of the Christian religion, sanctified and made holy nearly 19 centuries ago by the suffering and blood of 50 million martyrs who died in the most holy faith. So what does all of this have to do with the mystery of God's will? Well, it, it depends... Depends on, on, on you. Depends on how rooted you are in his word and how it transforms you. It depends on, on what you believe as it relates to your role in his body. So our beliefs in turn fuel our actions. Galatians 6, 2 tells us, Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. What, what, is, what does this look like? What does it look like to carry others' burdens? Depends on what those burdens are. Depends on what you're willing to carry. Sometimes we, we have so much baggage ourselves, we just can't carry somebody else's. And there are times when we are unwilling, for whatever reason, but we're unwilling to let someone else help us. Somebody comes along who wants to help us carry our baggage, but we just want to hold on to it. Pride, stubbornness. We all have heard the line, well, I don't want people in my business. Whatever. It, it, it just is. For me, just my own stubbornness. Just know that. Fulfilling the law of Christ requires, it's not negotiable, it requires us to carry 
each other's burdens. It means empathy is a done deal. Get over yourselves. Get over myself. The law of Christ requires us to carry each other's burdens, be in their shoes. It requires it. Whatever it is, carrying someone else's burdens, it begins with building authentic relationships with meaningful conversation. Nothing can happen. We can't get to the point of, as much as we want to empathize, nothing can happen without effective, honest communication. This means going beyond surfacey stuff and, and learning people, learning what motivates them, what they're passionate about. It also means finding about their hurts, their, their pain, their struggles. It's true of all relationships. Friends, family, husband and wife. If we're not effectively communicating and having meaningful conversation, everything else becomes that much harder. It's not enough just to simply coexist. It's not enough to be the tomato or the lettuce in the salad. We have to start thinking salsa. We have to be caring, engaging people. And we have to engage others with our hearts, not just our ears and our minds. But we need to communicate on a heart level. Colossians 3.12 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. I'm glad you all aren't flies in my house because you would realize that I missed the mark by far on all of those. But if we can get to that place where we're compassionate, we're kind, we exercise humility, we're gentle, we're patient, and we're better people for it, communication becomes easier. Empathy flows more easily. Let's look again at uh, a couple of, of these passages where Paul talks about this mystery. In Ephesians 1, 9 and 10, he says, And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth, together under one head, even Christ. So what's all things? All things. All things in heaven and on earth will be brought together under Christ. 
In Ephesians 2, 14 to 18, it reads, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. I'll read chapter 3, 3 to 4 again. Actually, I'll start in 2. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. In verse 6, this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together in one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. Verse 9, and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. In chapter 6, 19 and 20, this is after he talks about the armor of God. He says, pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Paul was fearless. But he, he wanted, in fact, he, he needed prayers that he would remain fearless. Ensuring that people understood the mystery of the gospel and its good news was paramount in Paul's life. It was vital Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. I mean, he, he understood the, the, what it meant. Not just to, to the people in Ephesus, not just the Jews and the Gentiles in that time frame or in that space, but he understood what it meant for the kingdom. God gave him a, a revelation and an insight that he talked about previously that he understood what it meant for the greater good of the kingdom of heaven here on earth. For them, it started with, with Jews and Gentiles. For us, how do we fearlessly make known this mystery of the gospel? Who is it that we need to be reconciled to? 
you know, not just between races, not just black or white, but across countries of origin. I mean, we go back and we look at history, and to this day, there are still Greeks who just cannot get along with Turks for whatever reason, for wars that were fought hundreds of years ago. It's so ingrained. But Jesus came, and despite what happened, they can reconcile. They can navigate the fact that, yes, some atrocities, some ugly stuff happened. Corey Ten Boom, in one of her books, she talks about when she was at, she, she was at, a, at, at, at a meeting, and she spoke, and after the, the meeting, one of the guards at Ravensbrook, which was the prison where she was, he was there. And he came to her, and he said who he was, and she knew immediately who he was. And he asked for forgiveness. They end up hugging. They were reconciled. They saw past what happened. Jeff talked about forgiving doesn't mean forgetting. But she, they were able to, to look past that to the greater relationship. What it meant in terms of the kingdom of heaven. That's where we are. Coming back to Paul, he was all about these two groups becoming one. He was echoing Jesus in John 17, 21, where Jesus was praying. And he was praying for those who believe in him, that, that they, would be, they would all be one. And in verse 23, where he prays that all believers be brought to complete unity. Jesus wasn't praying only for American believers. He wasn't only praying for, for Chinese believers. He wasn't praying for black Christians. He wasn't praying just for white Christians. He was praying for all of them, for all of us, so that we could become one. We nullify everything Paul has done, everything Jesus prayed if we consciously choose to be and remain individual people. That's not what the kingdom is. See, in the kingdom, race doesn't matter. Socioeconomic status doesn't matter. Country of origin doesn't matter. So I'm, I'm pretty sure when, when we get to heaven that we're not going to see any American flags. Just like there are not going to be any Jamaican flags, there, there won't be any Union Jacks. There won't be any flags. We don't, <laughs> it's another conversation for another time, but we don't even realize that, that flags, these, these symbols, that they can be divisive. They're, they can be idols. Like I said, that's, that's a different message. But when we get to heaven, there will be none of what we know. I didn't check with uh, my anthropologist, Kristen, um, this morning on this thing, but, but allow me to leave you with this. And, and I'm, I'm being silly because she actually minors in anthropology. But, but what is ethnicity? 
by definition, it is the fact or state of belonging to a social group that has a common national or cultural tradition. The adjective ethnic relates to large groups of people who have certain racial, cultural, religious, or other traits in common. I am ethnically Jamaican. Racially, I'm, I'm biracial, I'm, I'm black. My dad, my mom is white. But I'm ethnically Jamaican because of our, our shared traditions and the shared culture that we, that we have in, in Jamaica. Is it far-fetched to think of Christianity as our ethnicity? We have our, our cultural traditions. We have our religion in common. Why can't it be, why can't we be ethnically Christian? If we thought of our shared ethnicity in this light, um, I, I think we would relate that much more with other believers, despite their race, despite how much money they have in their account, despite where they're from. The mystery that is referenced in Ephesians, it's no longer mystery. Where we are now is we can just choose to ignore it or not. But the mystery is no longer a mystery. The love of God through his son, Jesus, unites those who follow him as one. The church is the hope for this world. My role, our role, is to be humble as we play our part in, in, in enhancing God's reputation. If Christ is on his throne... And he's ruling over our lives. If we surrender all to him, we have to get out of our own ways. We have to set our idiosyncrasies and our isms aside. And just let God do what only he can do. Bring different people, sometimes enemies, together and have them to thrive as one new people group. It's the only way this world can get better. It's the only way the kingdom will manifest here and now. I said a little while ago, the mystery is no longer a mystery. We can ignore it or we can embrace it. It's up to you. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we just, um, we thank you. Father, that you, you loved us since the beginning of time, since before there was time. We thank you that you loved us, that you, you knew, Father, that, that Jesus was going to die for our sins so that we could be reconciled to you. If it means anything to us, Father, being reconciled to you, then we have to understand that we have to be reconciled to each other. There can be no enmity. There can be 
nothing between us. We have to be honest with ourselves, Lord, because if there is stuff between us as people, then there's stuff between us and you. Open our eyes, Father God. Help us to to be emboldened and be fearless like Paul was as we embrace this mystery that is not a mystery and we live a life that is winsome, that, that reveals to the world that despite all our differences in Christ, we are united and we are one. Help us please, Father God. We're just grateful. Grateful, Father, that we have opportunity here in America to to hear your word, to get together. And uh, help us never to, to take that liberty for granted. Be with all of us today as we, we go about our weeks. As we get ready to, to face the world in front of us. And, and all the drama that will come with it. Be with us. Undergird us and strengthen us, Father. Pray for Jeff and, and Christy and the kids as they, they travel. Um, just give them traveling mercies, Father God, please. Until um, we're able to get back together next week. Be with all of our FCC members who are not here uh, for whatever reason. Uh, just be with them and, and, and touch their hearts and let's just let them know that, Father, that they're in our, in our hearts. This is a crazy time. It's a tough time. But, Father, it's easier if we just hold your hand. We love you and we praise you, God. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen.